Amen. Thank you, Ella, for leading us in beautiful worship. Let's continue in worship by giving our attention to God's word. And our passage today is found in Exodus uh, chapters 1 through 4. And I just want to read a little excerpt from uh, chapter 2, verse 25 through chapter 3, verse 6 as we begin this morning. This is God's word to you today. He looked down on the people of Israel and he knew it was time to act. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. God's word to you today. You can be seated. My name is Chris, and I'm so glad to be back with you today. I'm one of the pastors here at New City, and it's a joy to join into a series that has brought so much life um, as I've listened along. Uh, the, the series is entitled, This Passage Changed My Life. And the passage that you just heard and what we'll walk through to get today from Exodus chapter 1 to chapter 4 changed my life. And I'm excited to share it with you today. If you have a copy of the scriptures, I want to encourage you to open there with me to Exodus beginning in chapter one. It's an easy book to find. Just start at the beginning and turn over and you're gonna bump into Exodus. It's the second book in the scriptures. I wanna draw your attention while you're turning there to Exodus 2.25, one of the scriptures that you just heard in our passage today. It's translated in the English Standard Version this way, and the Lord saw and the Lord knew. And I love that verse. Because I think so many of us, and I'll speak for myself, I've struggled in my life to know, does anyone really see me? Does anyone really know me? You know, and the question under those questions is a question of identity. It's a question of who, who am I? Where do I belong? And I, I, I wonder what the question is for you that you can remember from a young age beginning to ask internally and maybe you began to externally ask the question, where do I belong? Maybe that was your question or will I ever measure up? Or maybe for some of you in the house that you grew up in, the system that you grew up in, maybe right within the church, you wondered, am I ever going to be good enough? Will I ever be accepted? And again, the question under whatever your question is, 
is a question of identity. It's a question of, of who am I? And don't you see that this was the question of, of Moses? It was a question of identity. It was an identity crisis. Now, some people think that you get to midlife and you begin to have an identity crisis. The truth is that it's the same identity crisis that starts when you're young and you become aware of your needs, your, the ways that you lack or you don't fit in or you don't meet other people's expectations, uh, the ways that you maybe you don't look the way that you would like to, people don't treat you the way that you would uh, want to be treated. You're aware of your need. And it's actually at different stages of your life, that same question pops up over and over and over again. And here's the thing, guys, as we jump into the text. Until that question of identity, whatever it might be for you, however it presents itself, until that question of who am I is answered by the God that made you, the God that sees you, the God that knows you, that question will never be answered fully. There is no other person, there is no other thing, there is no amount of money, there's no amount of experiences that can ever speak to the core identity question and answer that question of who am I? You see, God's answer, everyone watch this, God's answer to your question of identity, to my question of identity, is his identity. And this is the story of Moses. And I've come back to this passage, Exodus 1 through chapter 4, over and over and over again, as I've had to remind myself about who I really am. If you're there in Exodus 1, follow along with me. The very first word in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, the very first word is actually a Hebrew letter. It's the letter Vav. And the Hebrew letter Vav means and. So the first word of the second book of the Bible is and. Why is this important in the context of the story of Moses? Because God sees all the different episodes and uh, lowercase s stories of the Bible is one story. There is one story in the Bible. It's the story of a God that made you and knows you and loves you and is desperately in love with you. It's the story of him coming to redeem you and humanity back to himself. So Exodus continues one redemptive story. I mean, think about this in the Bible. The Bible was written by 40 different human authors over the course of 1,500 years in three different languages on different uh, places and geographical locations across the Middle Eastern world. And yet it gives one redemptive story from Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books, the story of God coming and rescuing us. And so Exodus continues this redemptive story. And specifically, it picks up on the story of Joseph, which begins in chapter 36 in Genesis. And it's the longest personal narrative in all of the Hebrew Testament, the story of Joseph. And of course, Joseph finds himself 
uh, enslaved and brought to Egypt. He gains favor there with uh, Pharaoh because of his decisiveness and his wisdom and his insight. And the Bible says that the Lord blessed everything that Joseph touched and he became the prime minister. And the people of God, the Hebrews who were in Egypt, prospered there and had favor because of Joseph. But something happens very early on in the book of Exodus in chapter 1. Look at verse 8. A new Pharaoh, a new king arose who did not know Joseph and did not know the story of Joseph. You know what that tells me very early on? Things change. Wouldn't you agree with that in life? People change. Bosses change. Companies change. Organizations change. Families change. Everything on this side of heaven changes circumstances change. And that's what happened for the people of God. They went from being favored because of Joseph and his favor to being looked at as a threat. Look at verse 10. The new king says, these people have multiplied. They're bigger than us. And if we go to war, they might join our enemies and they'll be a threat to us. And so the Bible says that the new Pharaoh said, let us deal shrewdly with them. And he does that in two different ways as he opposes the people of God. He enslaves them under very harsh conditions and he works them so that they're incapable of having any physical energy to rebel. And then he enacts genocide. He begins to murder all of the Hebrew boys. And he does that through the midwives. Look at chapter one at the very end. And the midwives rebel, by the way, and they value life and they say, we won't do it. And God blesses them. But then Pharaoh goes around the midwives and he tells all the Egyptians, if you see a Hebrew boy, throw them into the river. And it's in this context that Moses is born. And his mother protects him for three months and hides him. And then she can't hide him any longer. And she puts him in a basket. Can you imagine this, moms? Putting your three-month-old in a basket and sending them down the Nile? There's crocodiles in that river. It's dangerous. Can you imagine that moment of letting that basket slip away from her hands and into the hands of God? And guess who finds Moses, the three-month-old, before he's even named? Do you remember? It's Pharaoh's daughter. Think there's a God that is telling one story and is in control? And Pharaoh's daughter draws him out of the river now and names him Moses because the name Moses means to draw out of. Now, I want you to think about that. Because Moses had a calling on his life to draw the people of God out of slavery and into the promised land. And so even a pagan daughter's uh, naming of Moses shows the sovereignty of God in naming him by his calling what God had marked out for him in his life. God's marked you out for a purpose. God has a purpose for each and every one of us, something that he's marked out in eternity that he holds in his heart, a purpose for us to discover and understand. Moses is marked for his calling by his name. Pharaoh's daughter sends him back into, the, into a Hebrew home, to his, to his Hebrew home to be nursed. And then, can you imagine this? They bring him back to Pharaoh's house. It shows their power. They don't dare keep him. And he grows up as an Egyptian. 
Now, why is this important in the story? It's important because, again, Moses is wrestling with the question that we all wrestle with, and maybe you are right now in a very visceral way. Who am I? Do I belong? Do I fit in? Where do I come from? Where am I going? What is my purpose? Will I measure up? And what difference does all of this make? And Moses is busy figuring all of that out as a teenager, and he grows up, and he's still trying to wrestle with those questions. And we get to uh, chapter 2, verse 11. I want you to look at it with me. It says, many years later, and if you're taking notes, many years is actually 40 years. So Moses is a 40-year-old, and it says that he, he grew up. But let me let you in on something. He grew up out here, physically, but he didn't grow up in here. And some of you are in the same place. You've gotten taller, right? You've gotten a little bigger. But the core question of who am I, where do I belong, where do I fit in, where I ever measure up, am I good enough, has never been answered by the one true God that sees you and knows you. Moses is a 40-year-old who doesn't belong with the Hebrews, and he doesn't belong with the Egyptians. He didn't grow up knowing his actual father, but he certainly doesn't know Pharaoh, the most important and powerful person in the world during that time. He's experiencing a crisis And many of us would see it as a midlife crisis because he's 40 years old, except Moses lives 120 years. So this is a third of a life crisis that he's having of of who am I and, 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 and where do I belong? And I want you just to think about it again from the story of God that the one that would draw Israel out of bondage from Egypt sat at the very table of Pharaoh for 40 years having supper with him. Think about God's sovereignty and providence over Moses' life, that he would know Pharaoh, that he would sit with Pharaoh, that he would eat from his table and have an Egyptian identity, and he would be the one that God marked out to eventually stand before Pharaoh. And let's, let's all remember Charlton Heston here for a minute. Let my people go. But he had supper with Pharaoh for 40 years before that. And he got to know the Egyptians The truth is that Moses is having a third of a life crisis and he's still trying to answer the core question from his childhood, who am I? And I I don't know about you, but I can speak for me that I had a lot of those questions in my childhood and growing up. Where do I fit in? Am I good enough? I was a very average athlete. I was very average academically. Where do I really fit in? Where do I belong? What, what, What about you? And I wonder if we look at chapter 2, verse 11, Moses grew up, but you go, you know what? I grew up out here, but I never grew up in here. And I can tell you as a pastor, I've sat with many people who are 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old, but they're still a child in here. And the core questions of their identity, of who they really are, because they've never grown up into the identity of who God made them to be. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I became a man, do you remember this? Paul says, I, 
I put away childish things. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put those things away. Now, it begs the question, when did Paul become a man? I think Paul became a man on the road to Damascus when he met Jesus and God began to speak to the core places of his identity with his own identity. Because again, God answers our questions of identity with his very identity. And that's what happened here. And that's what's busy happening for Moses. But it's a journey because his character doesn't match his calling. Look at this. Look at verses 11 through 15 in chapter 2. Moses is 40 years old. He's got the authority and power of an Egyptian, but he doesn't really belong in Pharaoh's house, but he's not really a Hebrew either, but he has a a soft spot. spot. He doesn't know what to call it, but it's actually the calling of God as the redeemer and rescuer of God's people, but it comes out sideways because he doesn't yet have the character to match his calling. What do I mean? God has a stamp, a calling on his life to be a redeemer, a rescuer, to draw his people out of bondage and slavery. But he doesn't yet have the character to match that. And so what happens is he sees an Egyptian mistreating one of his fellow Hebrews. And instead of confronting that in a mature way, what does he do? Do you remember in chapter 2? He looks around and he murders the Egyptian. And then he buries the body. It's a very important word that's used here. He covers it up. And again, for many of us, we've covered up our core questions of identity with all kinds of different things so that no one will ever get in and see it. And the greatest fear that we really have is to be found out. That I really don't have all those questions answered. That I really don't know what I'm doing that I really don't know who I am. And Moses is found out. His character is lacking. Even though his motive to stop the Hebrews from being enslaved and mistreated was right, his character and his action was wrong. Have you ever been there before? Your motive, your calling, the purpose that God put on your life, which by the way, if you wanna know your purpose, what breaks your heart? What do you see that's happening in the world that you know shouldn't be? And you want to change that. You're somewhere near your purpose in life. It's the intersection of God's uh, great passion for people and the pain of people. That's where purpose lives, at that intersection. The pain points of the world and God's passion and love for people in the world. And God has each of us designed and marked out for different purposes. If you're watching a commercial with your family and all of a sudden you start crying and everyone's looking at you like, what's wrong with you? You might be near the intersection of your purpose because God's pricked your heart. There's something about it that you say, that's not supposed to be that way. And I'm supposed to do something to help change that. But Moses hasn't yet encountered God and given his heart and his life and his attention to the one true God. So he doesn't have the character and the identity to match that. So he murders and then he covers it up and he's exposed. And he's exposed by his fellow Hebrews. The story goes here in chapter two that the next day he goes out and he sees two Hebrews arguing with each other and he says, why are you fussing at each other? Why are you arguing with one another? And they say to him, who are you to be our judge? 
What right do you have, Moses, to speak into our life or talk about character? We saw what you did. And Moses knows that he's been found out. And he flees because Pharaoh, for a second time, wants to kill him. And he flees to a place called Midian. If you're taking notes, maybe just write that down. Because the name Midian is very important. It's a place of wilderness. It's a place of of obscurity. It's a wilderness. But more than that, the root word for Midian is where we get our word middle or uh, median. It's a middle place. And I want you to see that the first 40 years Moses spends in the house of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the next 40 years he's going to spend in a place called Midian. And God is busy through the place of Midian catching up his character to match his calling. But Moses doesn't know it yet. And so he's fleeing and he comes, look at verse 15. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, the second part of it. He flees to Midian and this is what the Bible says. When Moses arrived in Midian, this middle place, he sat down beside a well. Now let's just go there to the well for a minute. Let's think about where our friend Moses is. And maybe think about where you are in your life. Moses has no family. He has no home. He has no job. He has no friends. Nobody came with him. He's got a death sentence again, the same sentence that he was born under. He's under it again because of a crime. He's a fugitive. He's on the run. What must Moses have been thinking when he was sitting down at the well. What do you think he thought? Maybe you've been there before at your own well. I think Moses thought, my life is over. And the truth is that he was right. Life as he had known it on his own, wrestling with his question of identity, who am I, on his own, was over. But many of us in the places of desert or wilderness or Midian, the middle of our life, we think the best days of our life are behind us. And I'm going to get very personal here. Many of us, and I've been there before, we think that the desert that we're in, the Midians of our life, are a consequence for our past and not a preparation for our future. You see, the Moses of Exodus 2, who was still a child, yeah, he grew up out here, but he never grew up in here. The Moses of Exodus 2 was not ready to be the Moses of Exodus 14 the one who would part the Red Sea and draw the people of God out of Egypt and towards the promised land. He wasn't ready yet. God had to get him into a place, a desolate, obscure place, a quiet place where he could speak to the depth of his heart and the question of identity. And sometimes God has to drive us into deserts to drive his purposes into our hearts. Sometimes God has to take comforts away from you. Think about it. He grew up in luxury in the house of Pharaoh, and now he's in Midian. 
And sometimes God has to take comfort away from you to bring his presence close to you. Am I speaking to anybody here today? Moses didn't know it, but Midian would become the perfect training ground for what God had for him. And I want to say something to some of you in the room this morning, those of you watching online, that maybe the desert that you're in, the wilderness that you're in, the the Midian or the middle place of your life where you feel like maybe the best of my life is behind me, maybe just maybe it's not a consequence, it's a preparation for what's in front of you. Because as long as you have breath, friends, God isn't done with you. And with God, our best days are always ahead of us. Paul said it this way, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. My best day with Jesus is still to come. Your best day with Jesus is still to come. And as long as you have breath, God is preparing you for what is coming next. And for some of us, we're so busy walking into the future backwards, looking at our past, all the mistakes we made, all the ways that we're trying to answer our core question of identity, that we're not looking to the future and what God wants to do inside of us so that he can work through us. And that's what was happening with Moses. And it's in this moment, by the way, look at verses 16 through the end of the chapter, Verse 24 in chapter 2, Moses is sitting down by the well. He's thinking probably my life is over. All these things have happened to me. Uh, Now it's just going to be a consequence in living in this nowhere place. And I don't know what's going to happen with my life. And it's in that moment that Jethro's daughters, seven women come who are tending Jethro's flock. And they are watering their father's flock. Now, Jethro was a priest in Midian. His, he also has a name, Raul. So if you see it in your scriptures, he's known by both names. And they come to water the flock. And they're used to being harassed by the other shepherds. And I want you to see something here. It's in that moment, Moses sitting down by the well, probably thinking my life is over, having this quote-unquote identity crisis, that he jumps up. Look at verse 17. The other shepherds come and they chase the girls away, probably what happened every single day, but this day is different because there's this stranger here, which by the way, the girls describe as an Egyptian. Talk about an identity crisis. Moses is a Hebrew, they seem as an Egyptian. But this day is different because in that moment, his calling comes out again to be a rescuer and a redeemer. And as they're being harassed, look at verse 17. It says, Moses jumps up and he rescues the girls from the shepherds and he waters the flock. And his life changes because of that calling on his life to be a redeemer and a rescuer. And he couldn't suppress it even in his lowest moment. And God brought an opportunity. And God will oftentimes in your life bring an opportunity at some of the lowest moments to see his purposes and his calling for you. Because he doesn't want you to miss it. And Moses jumps up and he acts. And that gives him favor with Jethro in the story. And because of that, Jethro allows him to marry one of his daughters. And they start a family. And he has a home. And he gives him a job. And all these core questions. You know, I don't have a family. I don't have any core relationships. I don't have any children. I don't have a home. I don't have a job. All these seem to be answered by Jethro. And it says that he settles there. I want you to look at that word. He settles there. And for many of us, we settle in the middle place. 
We settle for what we think we need and not what God wants for our lives. God gave him those things, absolutely, but he didn't want Moses to settle there. He wanted to prepare him there for something so much more. And that's exactly what began to happen as he shepherded that flock. And look at the passage. It was years later. Look at verse 23, chapter 2. Years passed. How many years, if you're taking notes? 40 more years. How old is Moses? He's 80. He's 80 and he's going to live his best life in leadership at 80 plus. So pay attention to that. His best life in leadership, the best third of his life are going to be spent from 80 to 120. But it's at 80 years old that something changes. 40 years of preparation. Can you imagine how many days he went out to water that flock in the middle of nowhere? Thinking, my man, back in Egypt, I used to eat so well. Back in Egypt, you know, I used to be fanned. Uh, Whatever happened there, I don't know. Back in Egypt, it was great, you know. And some of us, again, we live life going, man, back in, you know, back, back then, back in my day, you know, I just blah, blah, blah. And listen, there's, I love telling stories. I love history. I love telling stories. But, but listen, when, when your orientation to time is in the past, the end is near. When your memories exceed your dreams, the end is near. God still has dreams for you. Let's, let's celebrate the past. We need to always honor the past and the stories of God, but we should always be ready for what God has next. The dream that God has for you. If you're still living and breathing, God still has something for you. And Moses is such an example of that. This passage changed my life. I hope it changes your life with that understanding that God always has more. He's always preparing you for something else. And Moses' moment comes at a burning bush in chapter 3. Again, our our passage there that holds everything together, Exodus 2, verse 25. If you remember one verse from this sermon, I hope you remember that, that the Lord saw and the Lord knew. And it was out of God seeing, God knowing, God valuing his people in Moses, Moses that he begins to act. And how he chooses to act is by calling this redeemer and rescuer and revealing himself to him and his calling on his life. So Moses is leading the flock. Some of you know this story. He goes really far out into the wilderness by the mountain of God. He doesn't know it's the mountain of God. And he sees a bush on fire. Remember our passage? It's engulfed in flames, but it's not burning up. And Moses turns his attention towards the bush. Now, um, someone once said our life is full of burning bushes, but we have to turn aside and watch them and see them. We have to actually slow down long enough to recognize the burning bushes in our lives. And there's a key part of the passage here in Exodus 3, verses 1 through 6, that Moses actually gives his attention and comes towards the burning bush instead of walking by it. And that's a good word for us. And out of that, God begins to call to Moses, 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 can you imagine? It's the angel of the Lord, by the way, if you want to just underline that. We'll come back to that in just a minute and finish. Exodus 3, verse 2, the angel of the Lord speaks from Moses from this bush that is engulfed in flames, but it doesn't burn up. And Moses says, here I am. And God says, stop. And Moses is going to get a crash course on holiness here because he's never encountered God in this way. Think about it. He didn't grow up in a Hebrew home. He didn't learn the songs. He didn't learn the stories. 
He doesn't know the God of his father. In fact, uh, when, when, when God says to him, the angel Lord says, I'm the God of your father, he must go, well, I, I didn't have a dad. I didn't grow up with my dad, and Pharaoh wasn't my dad. And God's going to speak right to the heart of identity. He says, don't come any further. I am your, the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Let's go back to that first word in Exodus. What's the first word in Exodus? And God is continuing one redemptive story by identifying himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. One story of redemption. And, and God's saying to Moses, and now I'm your God. And I'm speaking to you. And look at verse 10, chapter 3. He says, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. Here's the call. You must lead my people out of Egypt. That is the call of your life, Moses. And I want you to see Moses' response as we finish here. God initiates the encounter, this incredible, amazing thing. He speaks a word of identity about who he is. And here's Moses' response. Here am I. Send someone else anyone else. In fact, let me show you this. God, or Moses questions God's calling, his identity and purpose on his life, five different times in Exodus 3 and 4. So if you've ever questioned God, if you're sitting here this morning, if you're watching and you've questioned God, you've doubted God, you're in good company. Moses doubts. He questions. And, and, and we learned early on, there's a question under the questions. And the question under the questions is, who am I? But here's how it comes out five different ways. I'm going to put it up on the screen and it's on the app too. So if you want to take a screenshot or you want to look at it later, he, here's the five questions. The first one is the core question. Moses says, uh, who am I? Who am I to do this? And he doubts himself, and God's answer is, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with you. I'm going to go with you. My presence is going to be with you. And Moses thinks about that, and he says, okay. Well, who are you? And this is a part of the journey, and some of you are at that place right now in your spiritual journey. Who, who is God? What difference does he really make in my life with my core question of who I am? And so Moses says, who, who are you? And this is where God answers. The angel of the Lord says, I, I am that I am. I, I am. Now, when you think about this, the question is, who am I? And God answers with, I am. God answers our question of identity with his identity. And that's what he speaks to Moses here. So Moses thinks about that and he says, okay, and here come the what ifs. So if I know who I am and I know who God is, the next thing I go to in doubting is, well, what, what, what's gonna happen? And maybe you're at that place. And you go, well, what if, what if they don't listen to me? Look at chapter four, verses one through nine. He says, what if I go and they don't listen? And he begins to doubt the authority, the right authority that God is imparting and letting Moses borrow for his calling, which by the way, God gives us his authority 
He lets us borrow his authority to accomplish his purposes. That's why Jesus gives the Great Commission and says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. Because in other words, I'm giving you some of my authority to go act on my behalf. Moses says, what if I don't listen? Or what if they don't listen? And, and God says, well, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you signs and wonders. And he shows them all the miracles that he's gonna do. And Moses thinks about that and he says, okay. And maybe this is your question. The fourth one is, well, what, what if I can't do it? What if I'm not good enough? What if I'm not smart enough? What, what if I mess it up? And he doubts his ability, Moses does. And God says, well, who, who formed your mouth? I made you and I'll give you the words to speak, God says to Moses. And then finally Moses is, you know, he's like, I've asked all my questions. Who am I? Who are you? What if they doubt? You know, what if I'm not able to do it? And finally he just says, is there there anybody else? Who else? You know, I'm not a very good speaker. I'm not very smart. I'm not, you know, I I killed a guy back here. I I mean, I've got a past. Is there anybody else that you you can send? And this is the first time we see that God begins to get agitated and he says, well, I'm going to give you Aaron, and he'll speak, and I want you to pick up that shepherd's staff. And here's the thing, guys. In every part of our journey, you've got to pick up a staff. Because it's always about leading people towards Jesus, towards freedom. Egypt is a metaphor. It's a story of bondage, but it's pointing us to the story of spiritual bondage. And the promised land, yes, it was a physical place, but it represented the promised land of God, the promises and the heart and the freedom that come by grace through faith in Jesus. And at every moment in our life, God is asking us to pick up a staff and lead people towards freedom that only he can give. But the prevailing question of Moses that I want you to see, that he wrestled with in all the questions, the question under the question was, who am I? His core identity And I want you just to see in this passage that he couldn't become the Moses that we know until he allowed God to speak into that core question. You can't walk into God's purposes if you're still asking childish questions. You haven't understood God's answer to those. Where do I belong? Do I fit in? Do I have what it takes? And the answer is no, 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 until you meet Jesus. And it's only in Christ that those questions are answered. Let me finish right here. Let's come back to the angel of the Lord. Who is the angel of the Lord? Exodus 3, verse 2. We should always understand the angel of the Lord. It doesn't say a, an angel of the Lord or a angel, a, an angel of the Lord. It says the angel of the Lord. Singular. The angel of the Lord in the Hebrew Testament is always meant to be understood as Jesus. This is a theophany. This is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus in the Hebrew Testament because Jesus has always existed. So I want you to think about this. This is Jesus and Moses face to face. And this is Jesus saying to Moses, I am. God answers our questions of identity with his identity. Who am I? And Jesus answers, I am. Now, when you think about this, 
the three plus years that we see of a selected biography of the Gospels of Jesus and his ministry and his preaching and his teaching, how many times does Jesus use those two words, I am? I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the gate. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. I am, I am, I am. Every single one of those I am statements is a statement of identity. My favorite and maybe the one that you need today as we leave is from Mark 6. The disciples are on a boat after the feeding of the 5,000. There's a storm. They're going to sink. Jesus comes walking out to them. They think it's a ghost. They're afraid and they're terrified. And Jesus calls out to them, don't be afraid. I am here. I see you. I know you, I am with you. To Christ be the glory today.